Good morning, everybody. You are listening to or watching the Cup of St. Joe, where I serve an espresso shot of teaching and devotion during Pope Francis's Year of St. Joseph. And today I'm very excited to be speaking with Steve Ray. Steve Ray is a person that I grew up watching on EWTN and have followed a lot of his content over the years. Uh, he is a convert to the Catholic faith. He grew up in a very devout Baptist household. One of his things is, is that he is a certified guide to the Holy Land. Uh, his handle on Twitter, for example, is Jerusalem Jones. So people might follow him or know him because of his work uh, leading pilgrims to the Holy Land. He also is a father and a grandfather. And I'm sure we're going to have a wonderful conversation today about St. Joseph, especially about his person, but also his presence in the Holy Land where, where Steve Ray has been so many times. So welcome to Steve Ray. Well, thank you very much, Father. I'm glad to be here and glad to join you. It's an honor for me. You know, one of the first things I think that comes to mind, especially because you were raised in this devout Baptist household, you're a convert to the Catholic faith. What's your quick version of your conversion story? How did you find Catholicism? And you have a book, I think, something about crossing the Tiber. How did you cross the Tiber to Catholicism? Well, that's a long story. And I give my conversion story at a lot of conferences. I've given it over a thousand times. And uh, but it's basically my parents were converts through Billy Graham in 1953, and I was born in 1954. So you can imagine their passionate uh, convert zeal to being Baptists. So I was raised that way and uh, married my wife, who was from a Presbyterian background. And uh, we were, I was an evangelist and a Bible teacher, started my own business, homeschooled our kids. But when I was 39 years old, I started to see all the problems with Protestantism. And I almost became an agnostic. Then a friend of mine became a Catholic. He was a Protestant pastor. His name was Al Cresta. And we tried to prove him wrong. And in the process of trying to prove him wrong, we proved him right. And we were received into the Catholic Church in 1994. And we've never looked back. Well, that's a, a wonderful story. And yeah, Al Cresta is great. And uh, I know with Billy Graham, when he died, just maybe now a handful of years ago, uh, he was a very powerful preacher. Uh, I'm a subscriber to Series XM, and they had the Billy Graham channel for the month after his death and all of his homilies. And I was just really inspired by his preaching, in a sense, and yep. kind of learning from him different tactics in, in preaching. So truly a, a influential figure. Now, as you are a convert to the faith and you enter into the church, Sometimes individuals like that have have reservations about the saints, like Mary or like Saint Joseph, and uh, we're talking about Saint Joseph. And I'm just wondering, how did you come to terms accepting the the saintly devotion of the Catholic Church? Well, all of those people, we admired them, of course, as Baptists, uh, Mary and Joseph, and all the apostles and everybody else. But they they were no more of a saint than I was. Paul writes to the Philippians and said to all the saints in Philippi. So we would say we're all saints, not just those guys. And Mary and Joseph, they're all dead and gone. And their souls live on in heaven. And someday they'll be raised from the dead like the rest of us and be in glory with the Lord. But we did not accept the fact that Mary would have been taken body and soul to heaven, even though we have some biblical precedent for it with, uh, with uh, Elijah and Enoch, who are taken body and soul into heaven. 
but we would have just felt that they were uh, good examples for us, that they served their purpose that God chose them for, but that they were just saints like the rest of us were with a small S. When I became Catholic, what I really realized was, for me, it was all an issue of authority. Once I accepted the authority, all the other issues fell into place. Purgatory, priesthood, the Eucharist, Mary, saints, all of those things we, my wife and I wrestled with in 1993, and we tackled every one of those bugaboos, those goblins, so to speak, for a Baptist. But as we challenged each one of those and accepted the authority of the Catholic Church, that, because we realized that Bible alone could never work. It was never intended to work. There was never such a thing as Bible alone, and the Bible never teaches the Bible alone. And once we understood that there was a magisterium and a sacred tradition and scripture, all those other issues fell into place. And then I have to say that I learned more about Mary and the Eucharist from the Old Testament than I did from the New Testament because of typology and all of the images and the prefigurations of these uh, these big issues. Um, and then I came to accept the whole idea of the saints with capital S. I believe I'm a saint with a small s because I'm consecrated and called out to be one of God's people that uh, we're called to be holy ones. So I'm a saint with a small s like all of us are. But then I realized there were saints with capital S's, those that uh, we know are in glory with the Lord and Mary in a very special way, uh, body and soul. You mentioned the Old Testament and how you learned about Mary and the Eucharist from the Old Testament. And of course, there are some great Catholic thinkers these days, uh, Dr. Edward Shree, Dr. Scott Hahn, Dr. Brand Petrie, Petrie especially with his books, Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist, Jesus and the Jewish Roots of Mary, really showing kind of the Old Testament typology, as you mentioned. And we know that in the Old Testament, then we meet the person of Joseph. Uh, who was a, a person that interpreted dreams, who people went to because Pharaoh had them, had him really as an intercessor. So even we see Saint, or we see Saint Joseph having this type in a person named Joseph in the Old Testament. Isn't that right? Well, yes. And I just finished writing a 500-page commentary on Genesis, going to be published next year by Ignatius Press, and in there. I, go, I do a great deal of comparison of the typology between Joseph in the Old Testament and Genesis <clears throat> and Joseph, the father of Jesus. Both of them went down into Egypt to save the people of God. Both of them um, were, um, it's the parallels between them. Joseph in the Old Testament was abandoned by his uh, He's also a type of Christ in a way, uh, Joseph in the Old Testament. So there's a lot of parallels there, but Joseph, the father of Jesus, is very much, um, you could see, he was named after Joseph in Genesis, by the way. That's where he'd get his name. Sure. And, you know, so in the, uh, in the New Testament, then, of course, we meet Joseph, the father, the adoptive father of Jesus, who's the husband of Mary. And you go to the Holy Land all of the time. You lead these pilgrimages there. And I'm just wondering what sparked your great interest in leading pilgrims to the Holy Land? How did this become a passion? Well, when I became Catholic, I had never even thought of going to the Holy Land myself. I traveled all over Europe studying my Reformation history and Martin Luther and everything. 
But when I became Catholic, there is a certain incarnational or sacramental aspect to Christian uh, Catholicism that was absent with Protestantism. If we would have gone to Israel as a Protestant, I would have been a tourist with a notebook taking notes and saying, oh, Jesus stood there. Very nice. I'll write that down. As a Catholic, when I did become Catholic, I had this great desire, my wife and I, to go. And in 1995, we went with a small group, and I was so overcome with emotion and with the land. Like now, when I take people on pilgrimages, I tell them, don't think you're just going to go touch the land. The land is going to reach out and touch you because it's holy ground. God walked on this land. And when I went there the first time, I was so moved. I cried my way through the whole week and a half, and I ended up the next year saying to Janet, we got to go back again. And we jumped on another pilgrimage and went back exactly a year later. And since then, I've been there over 180 times, both making my movie series, which you uh, mentioned a bit ago, and uh, just exploring and writing and leading pilgrimage groups. And the reason I love to do that, Father, is because too many people today um, view Christianity as once upon a time in a land far away, there was somebody named Jesus. Like it's a fairy tale. Hmm. And when I, I've always believed it's true. And when I went there and realized you can touch the places, you can see them. You could touch the top of Calvary where the blood of Jesus dripped. And if you touched it 2000 years ago, your hand would come up sticky with his blood and you can still touch that place today. And when I realized that it's so tactile, so palpable, I had to, I wanted to, like with my movies, I wanted to bring it home to people, people that cannot go to the Holy Land, financially, time-wise, health-wise, whatever. I wanted to bring it back and convince people that this is real. This is real history. You have to believe this. This isn't a matter of faith. This is a matter of reason as well. Paul says that you have to believe because Jesus rose from the dead and we have witnesses. This isn't a fairy tale. This is real and the places exist and the people were really there. And that's why I love taking people because on a pilgrimage, nobody comes home the same. We take them there and get them to touch the land and the land touches them and they come home to they come home changed yeah you mentioned this whole notion of people looking at it as a fairy tale and we see it in the gospels that the gospel writers are very exact they give us the names of the rulers at the time so that we could actually situate this story that that's been called the greatest story ever told that we can situate that within history so that we can say this is true because we can look and these are real people who lived at a real time and this is when Jesus is born of Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem and there are lots of places in the Holy Land then that are associated I would think with Joseph we can think of some of them of course uh, his hometown where where the Holy Family was from in Nazareth and Bethlehem and well, what are some of these places, what are they like where Joseph and Jesus and Mary uh, would have lived? Well, when I'm in Nazareth with our group, I there's two churches there that we visit. One is the Church of the Annunciation, of course, where the angel come, came and spoke to Mary. And we stop in front of the cave where Mary lived with Joachim and Anna, and we pray the first joyful mystery of um, where, the, where the angel actually said the words that we pray in the rosary. And then we take them to the back of that church across about maybe 100 feet, 200 feet to another church called the Church of St. Joseph, which is where the Holy Family lived for 30 silent years. 
And I love to take people there because that is where Joseph and Mary and Jesus lived. And they didn't live in a house like we know. They lived in a cave. There had been discovered about 25 caves in Nazareth. They lived a very rustic life. And when I'm there, I take a half an hour aside with my group and I do a talk called A Day in the Life of the Holy Family. I actually have that on my website. I, it's now I have a CD on it. But we do a talk about that just to give you an idea of what it was like for Joseph and Mary and how they lived. And one of my favorite places is about an hour walk away from there called Sepphoris. I've run there from Nazareth. I, I ran all over Israel. I've run from Nazareth to Cana, from Nazareth to Sepphoris, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, all over. I've run everywhere. And I, I take off from the cave in Nazareth where they were living. And I ran over the hill and down into the valley to a place called Sepphoris. And this, during the time of Jesus's boyhood and young adulthood, was a booming construction site. The Romans were building a capital city called Sepphoris. And I'm quite convinced that Jesus and Joseph got up in the morning before the sun rose and they walked together with the other men of Nazareth who probably also were working there, although it was a small town of only about 250 people at the time. And they would walk to Sepphoris and there they would do construction work. Jesus and Joseph were carpenters. The Greek word is tekton, which means somebody who works with hard materials. And I think that what they did is they worked with rocks. They quarried them and they cut them and chipped and chiseled them and they put them in place in Sepphoris. And I just before the whole COVID thing happened, our last trip was uh, Holy Land Part 2, and we took our group through Sepphoris, and I said, see those rocks there in that wall? See the street with these rocks? Jesus and Joseph very well could have put those rocks in place there. So that's one of my favorite uh, places to go to because it's, uh, I, I believe that probably for most of Jesus's life, more times than we even see him in three years of his gospel, he probably was in Sepphoris working with stones. So, so the idea of Joseph and, and uh, Jesus being tectons isn't just carpentry work. It's also stonework as well is what you're trying to say. Yeah, I think we think of carpentry as fine work making tables and cabinetry. I think they were day laborers. They were what we would call rednecks or grunts. I think Joseph and Jesus were probably as tough as iron. I'd like to say to men at men's conferences, I give a talk called St. Joseph, a manly man, that he could probably wrestle any one of you guys to the ground in two seconds and pin you on your back, or he could pick you up and throw you over a wall without even trying. These guys were muscular, manly men who worked with rocks all day. They walked everywhere. I'd like to say that Joseph had a fist of iron in a velvet glove. And this probably speaks to the fact that Joseph then wasn't some old man, but he was probably a younger person, wasn't he? Well, I, I would have to, my tendency is to disagree with that, actually, Father, because um, I, I, the Western church has always held that Joseph was a youngest, younger man, but the Eastern church and the early church always held to him as being an older man. And um, you know, just being a little older doesn't stop us because when I look at the Old Testament, Joseph in the Old Testament, who we just talked about, lived and ruled Egypt until he was 110 years old. 
Caleb, the great, the word Caleb means old dog with Moses. He said he still was conquering Hebron at 85 years old. So I, you know, that there's a, there's a discussion going about whether Joseph was a younger man or an older man. I tend to fall on the side that he was an older man. In fact, here's one of my favorite, I think this probably is my favorite image of wow. St. Joseph. This is Joseph, the dark haired, dark skinned, manly man, rugged clothes. It's, it's painted by a convert named Tussaud, James Tussaud in the 1800s. And it shows Joseph not with his lily soft hands holding a flower, which I, I'm not in favor of those kind of effeminate images of Joseph. I'm more like the manly Joseph bearded, ready to go out and work and take care of his son and take care of his wife. I, that's the kind of Joseph I see. One of the things you mentioned about Nazareth uh, one of the, one of the things I experienced when I was there and we, when I was a seminarian, we were there for 10 weeks and, uh, there we, we stayed in Nazareth maybe for a week or two. And, uh, we were staying with some nuns and they claimed that they might've had the tomb of St. Joseph on their property. They called it the tomb of the just man. That's what was inscribed above it. Are you familiar with this? What do you think about that? I've heard of it. Um, we don't know where Joseph was buried. It would be pure speculation at this point. Um, nobody, you look it up in the books on saints and uh, Catholic encyclopedias and everybody says we have no idea where he was buried. And in fact, some people believe that he was also assumed into heaven. Uh, Francis de Sales says, of course he was. He, it's, he, it, some of the saints say there's not even a question. Francis de Sales was quite adamant about the fact that Joseph also was assumed into heaven, body, and soul. The church has never said, and he may not have been assumed into heaven, but there are, there's a, a, some saints that are quite adamant about it. Sure. Wow. There, there are so many different places to think of in the Holy Land that Joseph was. And I think so often when we go on a pilgrimage there, and rightfully so, we always think about Jesus. We think about the places of Mary. and there. But now during this year of St. Joseph, and maybe afterward, we'll pay a little more attention to the presence of Joseph in some of these places in the Holy Land and uh, to give, give great consideration to him. You mentioned that home in Nazareth where he lived and in that cave-like place. And I just remember being in that upper church and they have this beautiful statue of St. Joseph and it says Itea Joseph on it and uh, just a, a beautiful sense of devotion there. And um, in, in Bethlehem too, uh, to think of Joseph there present at the nativity of, of Jesus. And one of my favorite places in the Holy Land, and you'll see it, I have an image right up there. It's the Milk Grotto. I just love yes. that place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and all the times that I've been there, I probably never considered, well, Joseph would have been here too. Yeah. Um, and, and the story, so in the scriptures, it's interesting. And I'd like to maybe get your take on this. This might be out of our scope a little bit, but uh, it says that that when the Magi came, that they entered a home. And so yeah. I've read some scholarship that suggests that this home was probably some family members of, of Joseph, and that there they and that the word used uh, would have been 
like the, the back room or the front room or something of a home and, and they enter into this house where the Holy Family was. And I think right. that's the story of the milk grotto. That this it is. In the place, right? Yeah, it is because they Jesus was born in a cave under the church of the, the nativity. And we know that it was uh, where animals were because he was placed in a manger, which was a food dish for animals. And then it says when the Magi came, just like you said, they came to the house where they were. And the Franciscans there at the Milk Grotto, when you have them give a talk to your group, will say that this is the house that they stayed in before they fled to Egypt and where Joseph would have had the message from the angel to get up and go, get out of here because Herod is going to kill the baby. And um, the walls are white, the white stone on the inside because the story or the legend or the tradition is that Mary, some of her milk dripped on the ground and it miraculously turned the walls white. And when you take powder from there, and I have about a hundred little bags of it here with a prayer, many, many women have been able to conceive because of the of miraculous power of the place. So that's very much, uh, Joseph was there, obviously. This was his hometown, not his hometown in the sense of where he lived, but his ancestry, because he was from the tribe of Judah. And that was where King David was born. Yeah, interesting history. And really, <laughs> really, when you go to the Holy Land, it opens up the scripture so much. Oh, boy. You can say, I've seen these places. I've been on the Sea of Galilee. I've taken that boat ride. And uh, you'll never read the Gospels the same once you've been there. So if people Absolutely. want to go on a pilgrimage, they could probably join you. Are your pilgrimages open to the public? Could they yes, they are. All of ours are open to the public. And we have three going this year, still in 2021. We've got uh, one going in September, a November, and over the Christmas break, which is really nice because we call it a family Holy Land pilgrimage, and people bring their families and they bring their kids. There's not a better way to keep your kids Catholic than to bring them to the Holy Land and immerse them in the reality of the of the truth of the of the Catholic truth. Well, who wouldn't want to go to Bethlehem during the Christmas season? That's that's the spirit of Christmas right there. Oh, uh, no, it sure is. The place where Jesus was born. And but what we always say, Father, is that every day is Christmas in Bethlehem. That's right. Yeah, and if you're going over the Christmas break, you know these. The, the different religious, uh, different variations of Eastern Catholicism have these kind of elongated uh, times of Christmas. So um, I, I just remember maybe the Ethiopian church or something while, while I was in the Holy Land, they were just celebrating Christmas sometime in January. I, yes. Does, does this ring a bell with you? The Greek Orthodox, the Greek, uh, the Orthodox church celebrates usually around um January 6th or even later, and the Armenians have another date. So yeah, my, my guide, who's also my best friend in Israel, he's a Catholic. His mother was Greek Orthodox. His father was Catholic. And he said, I was the luckiest kid ever. I had two Christmases every year. <laughs> Maybe he even got gifts twice then. You never <laughs> know. So, well, this has been such a great conversation to talk about St. Joseph in the Holy Land and to really uh, get to meet Joseph that as we encounter him in the sacred scriptures, but to learn more about him, especially Nazareth, and, and to think about his work. Uh, I, I never heard that before, him going off maybe to this village and, and working there as a, a mason. So, so this has been really enlightening for me, and I hope it has been for others. So uh, thanks so much for joining me today, Steve Ray. You're welcome. And if people want to join us or find out what I'm doing, I put up blogs every day. It's at Catholic Convert. 
Catholiccatholic.com. Very simple. I'm a Catholicconvert.com. That's great. And uh, so I encourage people to check you out. I'll put all these links in the show notes as well so people can readily find them. And you've been listening to A Cup of St. Joe today. We've served an espresso shot of teaching about St. Joseph. And I invite you to stay tuned now as we pray the litany of St. Joseph. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, hear us. Christ, graciously hear us. God the Father of heaven, have mercy on us. God the Son, Redeemer of the world, have mercy on us. God the Holy Spirit, have mercy on us. Holy Trinity, one God, have mercy on us. Holy Mary, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. Illustrious Son of David, pray for us. Light of Patriarchs, pray for us. Spouse of the Mother of God, pray for us. Chaste Guardian of the Virgin, pray for us. Foster Father of the Son of God, pray for us. Watchful Defender of Christ, pray for us. Head of the Holy Family, pray for us. Joseph, most just, pray for us. Joseph, most chaste, pray for us. Joseph, most prudent, pray for us. Joseph, most valiant, pray for us. Joseph, most obedient, pray for us. Joseph, most faithful, pray for us. Mirror of patience, pray for us. Lover of poverty, pray for us. Model of workmen, pray for us. Glory of home life, pray for us. Guardian of virgins, pray for us. Pillar of families, pray for us. Solace of the afflicted, pray for us. Hope of the sick, pray for us. Patron of the dying, pray for us. Terror of demons, pray for us. Protector of Holy Church, pray for us. Guardian of the Redeemer, pray for us. Servant of Christ, pray for us. Minister of Salvation, pray for us. Guide in times of trouble, pray for us. Protector of exiles, pray for us. Protector of the afflicted, pray for us. Protector of the poor, pray for us. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, spare us, O Lord. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, graciously hear us, O Lord. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. He made him the Lord of his household and prince over all his possessions. Let us pray. O God, who in thine ineffable providence did vouchsafe to choose blessed Joseph to be the spouse of thy most holy mother, grant we beseech thee that he whom we venerate as our protector on earth may be our intercessor in heaven, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen.